0: So uh, long career in, uh, in kind of big tech uh, management consulting business and then got into uh, uh, early stage startups in 2013. Um, so the big companies I worked for started out with Microsoft, then went to Morgan Stanley briefly business school at University of Chicago, and then McKinsey and Company did some private equity consulting for a, a firm that I started in Chicago after that and uh, cut the early-stage tech bug in probably like 2009-ish, 2010. Uh, couldn't figure out how to get there from where I was because I was doing management consulting. And um, so I went to Google for two years really to uh, learn the tech scene and network with a lot of founders and venture capitalists and kind of understand where I could add value. And uh, then, summer of 2013, I left and started doing some angel investing and advising startups and looking for uh, startups to get involved in and operate in. I worked in an ad tech company for a couple of years, 2013 to 2015, and then kind of hit on a specialty of uh, doing uh, strategy and fundraising support for early stage uh, venture backed CEOs. And I did that from like fall of twenty fifteen until really was still doing it until probably like fall of twenty nineteen as as uh, my bitcoin company was ramping up um, and through that you know then I, I I came at bitcoin through fits and starts I uh, somebody gave me some in January of twenty fourteen and I didn't get it lost the private key and, and lost the bitcoin. Um, in December of 2015, uh, a friend of mine was looking to sell off some uh, early stakes in, in eight startups that he'd put into a Series LLC, and was kind of selling uh, a bit of the portfolio. And I helped him package that up for uh, presenting to investors. And two of the companies were Bitcoin startups, and uh, it still didn't take. Like I just didn't get it. And it wasn't until um, kind of the social signals and the professional signals from spring of 2017. With the price run up and seeing people leave and join you know startups in the in the bitcoin space and in the crypto space that uh that noise drew me in like a lot of people so it was really may of 2017 that i started paying attention um my whole circle was you know jumping into altcoins and icos and crypto funds and stuff like that luckily the first person that i that really seemed like they knew what they were talking about said so start with Bitcoin for sure spent a lot of time there first but at least had that as kind of the foundation like a lot of people I did uh, you know the, the shitcoin horseshoe and it took me about 10 months to get through it and uh, then I came out the other end being a pretty hardcore maximalist by like March or April of 2018.
1: Okay so why you went Bitcoin only?
0: Well in my case by then I had already uh, been working at a crypto fund so I had a really good window into mm-hmm how the industry was actually operating. And it looked a lot more like uh like penny stocks than venture capital, from what I could see. Um and in fact, you know, many of the altcoin founding teams were just full of people who had uh washed out of the startup world or had smirched their reputation through shady dealings or failure or whatever. Um so kind of over and over again you would see these people that weren't of the quality that, uh, that I would ever invest in, in, uh, in a startup space. And yet they were raising all this money in ICOs. And so it just was like pretty clear that something was wrong there. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, I, it's interesting. I think what really came down to though was just content consumption. I was just, I was list I was finding good Bitcoin podcasts and reading good Bitcoin books. And, you know, the logic of it was just uh, unassailable. And so if you are being honest with yourself, it's hard to be honest with yourself because the money was good, Um, you know, being president and CIO of a large crypto fund. Uh, But when I came to the realization that it was all basically crap, uh, I just basically spent the next five or six months working out how to extricate myself from that situation. (laughs) and be able to spend uh, full-time on Bitcoin after that. So you
1: you consider Bitcoin a positive Black Swan event. So can you please elaborate this idea of Black Swan and how Bitcoin is a Black Swan event?
0: Yeah, sure. So the work of Nassim Taleb is pretty foundational for my thinking um, about the world. I've been uh, a big fan and read everything he's written pretty much since uh, 2002 uh, is when I first became aware of him. Um, it was a New Yorker article called blowing up by Malcolm Gladwell, uh, that coincided with the release of fooled by randomness. And then I eagerly awaited the release of the black swan and antifragile and everything since then. So, um, a black swan, you know, is basically a shock that was kind of, uh, comes out of the fourth quadrant unknown unknowns as uh, Donald Rumsfeld used to say, um, and has a massive, impact on on the world or on on you if uh, if it's you know more of a, a local black swan um and it is kind of a misconception that the effects are always going to be negative it's actually kind of a, a neutral thing and how you how you benefit or suffer from a black swan is really determined by how you set yourself up um for for being exposed to such events so for instance like if you are long volatility as a trader and there's a black swan but you have a straddle on and you make money if the market you know volatility goes way up regardless of whether it's up or down then uh then you have positive exposure um your your risk is convex to uh to a black swan event um versus somebody that's like fragile uh you know basically would be hurt by volatility and that would be like being short volatility um bitcoin you know one of the interesting things about black swans is often there is somebody somewhere in the world that is thinking about them and uh and maybe even thinking about that particular uh, event occurring and so you know there were certainly a few hundred people at least in the cypherpunk movement who are aware of hash cash and b money and some of these different efforts and you know obviously very clear that some people that were involved in uh, in gaming currency were kind of thinking about a future where you might have uh a stateless digital currency that couldn't be double spent. Um, But the actual achievement of that uh, really still was pretty much out of left field. And obviously was that for 99.999% of people globally. Um, So, you know, we, we got hit by a black swan with the uh, with the white paper and turning on the network January 3rd, 2009. And uh, we've all just been kind of uh, subject to the effects of that black swans release on the world ever since.
1: Okay, do you think it will be one of the biggest black swan in our, uh, in our lifetime?
0: I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know that we can even say that it might be a lot more than that. You know, we're, we're kind of, it seems like it's the biggest thing since the internet. It may, you know, I often say, uh, what's more valuable information or value? Well, value is in the word, right? So I think it has a really good chance of being more impactful than the internet. Uh, Being able to send value around the world seems like definitionally more important than being able to send information around the world. Um, So that should be interesting. And then you're looking back at, you know, what's next? Soap, the printing press, agriculture? You know, so you may end up just kind of knocking these things out over the decades and centuries to come as the effects of this invention uh, actually start to roll out and change the globe.
1: Yeah, for sure. Because I was reading this book by Nassim Taleb, Antifragility, and and Bitcoin, I think, perfectly fits that position, right? And you also talk about it a lot. So can you please elaborate this idea of anti-fragility and how Bitcoin is antifragile?
0: Yeah. So, uh, antifragile basically means, uh, the opposite of fragile. So, uh, things that are fragile are things that don't like volatility. So that would be like a a vase. So a vase can handle being dropped from one millimeter, but you bring it up to like four or five inches and, you know, it might survive that you bring it up to a couple feet and it's definitely going to break. And, uh, there's nothing that can benefit the vase. You know, it's, it's robust to small drops and it's fragile to big drops. Uh, The best that most, the best that most uh, inorganic objects, so non-complex systems or objects that are sort of created by man can hope for is to be robust, as robust as possible, and that's on a sliding scale. So that would be saying like, okay, this isn't fragile, it's robust to a shock, but it's not going to get better the the realm of the organic or the complex that's where you have the opportunity to have systems that are uh the opposite of fragile and it's a new word that Nassim accurately uh, said didn't exist in the english language or any language and it's anti-fragile which is better than robust it's saying hey i actually am long volatility i want the shock i become stronger uh with with uh with shocks basically or with volatility and you know this most simply drawn is basically just uh you know a call option function where uh if things go badly for the asset you make money if things go well for the asset you make money Um, so that's how he sort of came at this was from from the lens of his profession which was being a professional uh derivatives trader for many years Um, so i think about that and it's been you know trying to be Trying to be long volatility and trying to build option value uh, and trying to um, ensure that no matter what happens, you know, if the market goes up, you're long. But if the market goes way down, well, you have a lot of cash on the sideline and you're there to snap up assets on the cheap. So a lot of people think like this already. It's just Nisim pulled these different um, strands of thought together, defined it and made it really easy for all of us who are privy to his work to be able to speak the same language about it. Um, one more concept that uh, that's out there that it dates back millennia is called Shi, and I'm butchering the pronunciation, but it's Chinese, and it basically just means uh, kind of being loaded up with potential. Um, and I haven't seen this, I'm right about it, but uh, I think uh, Robert Greene, the author of Mastery and 33 Strategies of War and the Laws of Human Nature and 48 Laws of Power, that guy, Uh, I think has done a really good job of uh, elucidating that concept of, you know, kind of like uh, if you can get a boulder, you know, kind of up on top of a hill, uh, it's static and it's just sitting there, but there's all this potential uh, built up there. And I think what we're seeing right now, as relates to Bitcoin, is, you know, Bitcoin is anti-fragile because, you know, whatever the government might want to do to it you're in a catch 22 as the government because you just let it go and it's going to end up dominating. But if you try to fight against it, then you are indicating to the world that you're threatened by it and therefore it will become more valuable because people will see that it's threatening a government. Oh my God, how powerful is that? And then, you know, from the perspective of sure it's like Bitcoin has so much potential and it's had it there ever since the, the release of the white paper and just the power of that idea, and really all we're doing in the early years here, you know, we're just entering the second decade of, of working and helping and spreading and buying and hodling and, you know, all of the different things that people are doing around Bitcoin is, you know, we're just building up this coiled spring of potentiality uh, for Bitcoin that, you know, is going to uh, accelerate drastically, in my view, uh, sometime soon.
1: Yeah, for sure. Also, all these folks... Uh They they also makes Bitcoin stronger, every fork. That's why we have the saying that whatever doesn't get Bitcoin makes it stronger, right? Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I agree.
1: Okay, so you also wrote this article called Ten Millions Bitcoiners. So it is based on this idea of, so can you please elaborate on Mm -hmm. this idea of intransigent minority and what was your article about? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think he he uses both intransigent or intolerant. Uh um I like the word intransigent because it's like these people are just immovable in their in their belief and dedication for something, but it's basically this idea that uh, in, in complex systems, human structures, whatever um, societies that you only need three to four percent of the population to care deeply about an issue to be able to flip the society so you know I think you the classic example that that he often uses is um, you know kosher or halal uh, food products in a in a country, you know, basically the, the country will flip as soon as you get three or 4% of the people who will only eat kosher or halal uh, and will not eat everything else, but the people who don't care one way or the other are happy to eat kosher. And so basically the whole food supply ends up switching over to kosher and, and halal. Um, so that happened in London with, with their meat supply and you can see it, you know, you can see the little symbol for uh, kosher on almost every food product that's packaged in the U.S. Um, So similarly, you know, if we've got 330 million people here in the United States, you need to hit that sort of, you know, 3% is like 10 million people, 3.5%, a little bit more than that, something like that. And, you know, how I would define the intransigent minority um, for Bitcoin, you know, and and I laid this out in the article, is owning uh, a bit of Bitcoin that's meaningful to you personally I think, you know, I estimated, let's call it like 2500 on average. But for somebody who's rich, it would obviously be like quite a bit more than that. For somebody who's uh, not rich and doesn't have a lot of assets, it could be, you know, maybe $1,000 is meaningful to them because they have expectations that it's going to go up, you know, 100x in a decade or two or whatever. Um, But then also layered on top of that, uh, knowing enough about Bitcoin and caring enough about Bitcoin to to want to fight for it in some way, and this doesn't mean taking up arms necessarily. It could just mean writing your congressperson or attending a town hall meeting or, you know, trying to advocate in some way for Bitcoin if needed in the future. And so, I see this as a little bit of a, a race. And and again, like we do have Bitcoin with the benefit of anti fragility that, let's say, the U.S. government did decide to Try in a concerted way to clamp down on Bitcoin. It might just delay things, but it probably ends up making Bitcoin, you know, stronger in the future. It just might go through more of a, a decade or two of more black market and more growth in other countries and things like that. So, you know, I prefer not to have any downside risk. I think that, uh, you know, I, I take my cue from uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, who said four or five years ago, like if we can just uh, stop one episode of hyperinflation anywhere in the world then everything that we do, um, you know, for Bitcoin in these early years is absolutely worth it. And so I just want to try to get Bitcoin to spread as fast as possible, you know, in an altruistic way, just to put a check on tyrannical governments, including, you know, the potential for our own here in the States to be tyrannical. Um, but also just selfishly and for absolutely myself and my family and my friends, like I want to enjoy a, uh, a world in which Bitcoinization has already begun to occur in earnest and is uh, is changing the way that people think about money and changing the way that we uh, cooperate with each other around the world and expanding the economic pie because of, uh, you know, frictionless uh, economies around the world. So um, I just want it to happen as soon as possible and with a, a higher degree of certainty that it that it will happen in short order.
1: Yeah, for sure. What do you think? How much time it will take to reach there? Like, let's say
0: 3%? Um, so I think right now we're probably at about uh, 7 million Bitcoiners globally by that sort of, uh, you know, owning a decent little chunk of Bitcoin, something like that. So it's like 0.1% of the globe. Um, you know, but I, I, our company and my efforts are specifically focused here on the US. I would say we probably have like, maybe a hundred thousand people in the U S that really care and know about Bitcoin and own a decent chunk of it. That's meaningful to them. So it's still a very, very small number. Um, So I think we've got about a hundred X to go in the U S to get there. Uh, I know there are people that have like little bits of Bitcoin or even people that have like a decent chunk of Bitcoin, but don't really know why they're just somebody who's rich and is kind of like making a bet, but they wouldn't fight for it. Uh, And so I think we actually do have quite a ways to go to get people to be, you know, By my little definition, uh, a Bitcoiner, which is somebody that owns a decent, meaningful chunk and is uh, willing to advocate for it and capable of doing so.
1: Yeah, for sure. Do you think US will be the leading country to pay most Bitcoiners?
0: Oh, uh, I mean, I think, I I think that US is far ahead of any other individual country as far as, um, you know, amount of Bitcoin owned It's by far the largest economy and the richest economy in the world. So um i do i do expect that uh a plurality of bitcoin volume purchases will come from the us i don't know if it's going to be 50% or 40% or whatever but you know this is the uh this is the economy and country that's uh that's best equipped to drive the growth of bitcoin going forward um but i think the uh i think the percentage ownership by a population i think the i think turkey is number one right now okay
1: okay so so when it comes to swan bitcoin so as we as we saw this news coming out that paypal and Venmo and other services are going to offer bitcoin buying services so do you see any competition in there because they already have millions of people on board so where do you see swan bitcoin playing out in those scenarios where paypal and all these all these giants offering bitcoins
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I think we're well on our way to achieving our goal of being the most recommended way to buy Bitcoin um, in the U.S. Um, and so that's kind of our goal is to make sure that uh, whenever someone asks their their friend who's into Bitcoin, like where should they buy, that we're always at the top of the list. And I think you do that by by always doing the right thing for Bitcoin, by always having the best price. Um, you know, we're anywhere from like thirty to fifty seven percent cheaper than cash app for recurring purchases and we're 60 to 80 percent cheaper than coinbase Um, so we kind of have that wrapped up as far as uh, automatic recurring purchases i don't see any reason it would be irresponsible of paypal and venmo to match us on prices when they don't have to because as you noted they do have captive customers and there's a convenience factor for just being able to buy bitcoin or promises for bitcoin as it may be on their internal ledger Um, you know in the app but uh, you know I think that's I often say like if you're not really that into bitcoin and you know you have cash app and you just want to like buy some like just buy it in cash app it's fine but if you want to get serious about bitcoin and you want to do you know automatic withdrawal to self custody or you want to you know you're starting to buy a lot so fees are important to you then it makes sense to take 15 seconds and sign up on swan because it's so fast
1: yeah for sure Okay, so you are also one of the partner in VC from Bitcoin Ventures. So what kind of Bitcoin infrastructure companies you are looking at and where in Bitcoin companies you think most value well will incur in, say, next, next five to ten years?
0: Yeah, so Bitcoin or Ventures, you can go to com and check it out. Um, so this is myself, Stefan Lavera, the podcast host, Jan Pritzker, who's the author of Inventing Bitcoin. And... Uh, also my co-founder and CTO at Swan and a guy named Lewis Liu, who's uh, just a really sharp young investor um, who similar to me was working at a crypto fund. He was working for Ari Block, or I'm sorry, Ari um, Paul at Block Tower and, uh, and became a maximalist while he was there looking at altcoins and decided to leave. Um, so we over time, you know, would like to have a committed capital fund and be a proper venture firm and that I'm, don't expect to have time for that anytime soon while I'm running Swan. Um, but in the meantime, what we did is we started an Angelist Syndicate. So you can go to uh, Angelist and get certified as an accredited investor. This is for anyone on the globe, around the globe, and then join the uh, the Bitcoin adventures Syndicate there. And uh, when we see a deal that that we like and that we think is a good price and has good upside and is a great Bitcoin-only company, um, we will essentially just reach out and ask to be uh, given an allocation in in their next fundraising round and then uh, let all our syndicate LPs, limited partners in our syndicate know that that deal is happening and they can choose if they have the the right, but not the obligation to contribute to the round. So we just did our first deal uh, and closed it last month in May with uh, Unchained Capital, which is a, a great Bitcoin company down in Austin. Um, led by Joe Kelly and Drew Bonsall, and I think everybody knows the the great writing that Parker Lewis, their head of business development, puts out um, with the Gradually Then Suddenly series. So I think that was a really good example of a company that's well known, that's well loved, that's understandable, that um, has a high profile in the Bitcoin space, and where it's uh, you know it's reasonable for us to be able to um, contribute to a deal like that, and they're glad to have us involved because they are you know, a consumer facing business and it makes sense for them to, to get some exposure and to let us invest in them. So, you know, I think the, uh, the website kind of lays out the type of companies that make sense for us. And I think that's that it, it holds true. It's, you know, companies that that people know about and that are fairly easy to understand what they do companies like lolly unchained you know can't invest in swan because we have too much cross pollination between the, for the the company and the fund but uh the, we would invest in the company like swan casa fold strike you know lightning labs some of the mining plays like uh like satoshi energy or crusoe or layer one um a couple of those are past kind of our sweet spot we'd like to get in um while the valuation is still like 20 million or less so that there's uh plenty of upside still, but um, But yeah, that's it. I think right now we're doing, you know, probably like two to four deals a year. Just did one. We'll probably start. I mean, we've already started looking at new ones and we'll probably uh, start looking to actually put more money to work in kind of like August, September timeframe. And then the other half of what we do is uh, we're working on uh, setting up, taking donations. So people that want to donate to open source Bitcoin projects, we're spending some time this summer figuring out how to, uh, to do that well with the structure with a 501c3 and letting people take tax advantage um, or, or make tax advantage donations to uh, open source Bitcoin uh, devs and projects like BTC Pay Server and things
1: like that. Oh, that's great. OK, so do you, do you see those companies, like, do you think that they will outperform Bitcoin?
0: So I think you have to be really selective. Um, you'd have to have your own thesis as to why you think a particular company would uh, outpace the growth of Bitcoin. Um, you know, in my case, I, I have a fair degree of confidence that, you know, my own company Swan, uh, will outpace the the growth of Bitcoin, but, you know, I have more knowledge about what we're doing than somebody from outside possibly could. So you have to spend some time thinking about a company and looking at it and there's a different risk reward profile, you know, so you've got to think about, you know, what is your degree of confidence that Bitcoin will hit X price by, you know, 2025? And what do you think a startup is going to do in the next five years or something like that? Um, yeah. You know, some people think about portfolio diversification. Um, you know, in general, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm personally, I and my family's finances are uh, very Bitcoin saturated. And so, uh, you know, I don't mind putting a little bit to work outside of it you know, just uh, just in the off chance that Bitcoin goes sideways for a while or doesn't do what I expect it to do, even though I, I have something like 75% confidence that it will hit six figures in the next couple of years. Like, I can't guarantee that. I don't know that for sure. Um, so I think it just, uh, it just depends. As far as investing in Bitcoin companies, you know, I think, um, I think that a rifle shot approach of picking a couple that you really believe in and really think have a lot of upside and probably like where you can help affect the outcome and, you know, be an advocate and make some connections for them or help them find customers or whatever it is. I think that probably makes sense. I think maybe in, you know, call it 2025, 2026, maybe, you know, another cycle in the rear view. I think that's when it probably makes sense to start thinking about, okay, a basket of Bitcoin companies, uh, Bitcoin startups, you know, five or 10 that portfolio could actually outperform the asset. I don't think that's the case uh, over the next four years. I think if you bought you know, startup stock in 10 companies, I don't think that you would uh, outperform the asset, which is why we are not starting a full Bitcoin fund and we're being very selective about which companies that we invest in because we're trying to pick ones that we think actually uh, have a pretty reasonable chance of outperforming the asset.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I think four years from now, maybe Bitcoin's market cap is much bigger than any company. So, at the time, it makes sense to invest in companies than Bitcoin, right?
0: Potentially, that's kind of that's kind of the theory. That's my thinking for sure.
1: Okay, okay. So, what are what you are most excited about? Oh, can going? I just
0: add one thing? Also, I, I just sorry, I just wanted to add um, that the we uh, we actually don't make any money on Bitcoin or ventures. It's uh, it's purely just like to add more value to the space and to learn more about the space and to get to know more people in the space and just kind of it's it's almost like just being involved in a charity um or, or a country club or something like that we like doing it we like talking to these companies all four of us uh actually just invest in each deal on the same terms as the other syndicate members and we take no fees and no no so no fees no carry we have no performance fees and no fees of any kind um for running bitcoin or it's just uh, like an organizing focal point to aggregate some capital and put them into Bitcoin startups.
1: Okay, so okay, going forward, what are you most excited about, apart from Swan Bitcoin?
0: <laughs> just watching my kids grow up, I guess. I don't know. I got a two-year-old and a five-year-old, and you probably hear them screaming in the background. But uh, that's 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 the most exciting thing in my life is just having uh, these two beautiful little daughters. And, so I'm that that's. There's not a lot to be excited about in the world other than Bitcoin because it all just seems to be going to hell in a handbasket between the pandemic and our fake fiat uh, economy and government overlords with the wrong incentives and the wrong views. So it's, uh, I don't know, I think Bitcoin really is like the bright light um, that keeps me going and keeps me in the, uh, as Peter Thiel would say, in the, uh, the definite optimist quadrant, which is where most people get the best work done um so i'm I'm optimistic about the future because of bitcoin if it wasn't for that uh you know I, I was still pretty optimistic working in technology and there's a lot of cool things going on in the tech world outside of bitcoin that are you know have the potential to drastically improve things for the world um but it's not as clear it's not as much of a, a beacon as bitcoin and none of those technologies can have anything close to the kind of positive effect that Bitcoin can.
1: So how do you see Bitcoin play out in next five to 10 years?
0: Um, That what is the probability?
1: Uh, Bitcoining, separating money from the state or do you think it is far away? Oh, um,
0: so that that particular goal, I am much more in the camp of uh, probably like where Nick Bhatia is, um, and I think Safe is pretty much, Safety and is pretty much on board with this as well. Um, I think that you'll see a few decades of Bitcoin kind of joining uh, US treasuries and gold as uh, the three pillars of global liquidity. Uh, and that's kind of where it will be kind of fighting it out. Um, I think fiat currencies will mostly be gone other than the US dollar. And then you'll see kind of like a resurgence in interest in usage of gold in some way, uh, unless people wise up way more quickly, uh, and kind of adopt Bitcoin as a better gold, which is what it is. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we kind of see all of those carry forward for the better part of the rest of the century. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think people that thought that, uh, the 20th century was the century of American power are, uh, going to be very surprised at uh, what happens for the rest of the 21st century, which I think is truly the, the century of American power.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that is the most probable future for Bitcoin. Okay. So what is your end goal with Swan Bitcoin? Like, do you plan to offer other services as well, apart from auto staking?
0: Um, so we're turning on one-time buys probably in July. So next month, um, we should have one-time buys, but only for, um, Swan members. So it'll be, to be a Swan member, you have to have a recurring purchase plan, but given that you have that, you'll also be able to do one-time buys. Um, cause we really want to encourage people to accumulate at least something, you know, take your, take your pay in Bitcoin, um, over the, for the long haul and just think about it that way and think about it as, as a savings vehicle. Um, So I think that'll be pretty interesting. Uh, We have a Swan IRA planned to come out later this year. So that should be pretty fun. And we're doing some things to uh, make it a lot easier for financial advisors and registered investment advisors to be able to put their clients into Bitcoin through Swan. So I think that'll be pretty exciting. Um, But yeah, I mean, broadly, it's uh, just sell as much Bitcoin as possible to as many people as possible. That's the goal for uh, the lifetime of the company.
1: That's great. So, do you plan to uh, open for sale as well?
0: No, we have no plans to let people uh, sell their Bitcoin.
1: Okay, that's great. Okay, last question before we wrap it up. So, apart from Nasim Talab, who is the best person you like to read?
0: Um, I mean, I really do. I really do like the the work that Robert Greene has done, distilling so much history and so much philosophy. Um, into his books, um, so you know, I think, I think the laws of human nature, thirty-three strategies of war, forty-eight laws of power, and mastery in particular; those ones are really, really strong. Trying um, to think, what else? I just—I read so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say. Yeah. Let me give one. Uh, let me give one. Just like uh, that's not. Uh, let's do a fiction one. I, I'm just okay. A, a huge neil stevenson fan you know he's he's from seattle snow crash was a really uh special book to me and got me to think about the future and and how things are working and uh, cryptonomicon was a fantastic book i'm actually just started listening to uh his most recent one I'm blanking on the title already i think it's called fall um but uh you know i just it's uh He's, he's a special guy. He's been into Bitcoin since the very beginning. He was kind of at, the, at some of those early Silicon Valley dinners with like Wenceslas Casares and a lot of the Silicon Valley VCs um, as they started getting into Bitcoin in 2012, 2013. And, um, you know, he just foresaw so much of, uh, of how the world is actually playing out, uh, you know, 27 years ago now. and It's wow. just fascinating how much of it he got right. Yeah, that's great.
1: Okay. 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 We will wrap it up and thank you so much for coming on. So can you please let people know where they can find you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So swanbitcoin.com is, uh, for all us residents. Um, we also have, uh, an affiliate program, um, which is open to people globally. So we have people in, you know, India, Indonesia, and Finland and all over the place that are, uh, basically uh, trying to get people to sign up for Swan and get them involved in Bitcoin. So you can sign up for the Swan Force at swanbitcoin.com enlist, E-N-L-I-S-T. Uh, and, you know, basically spread your ref code all over the place. Um, it's a really good deal and it pays out in Bitcoin. You get a, a 0.25% for the next three years of their Swan plan purchases. So it's a good way to stack some sats. If you like talking about Bitcoin and spreading it to uh, friends and family and your social network, um and then i'm cory clipston on twitter uh and we're swan bitcoin on twitter pretty easy to find and then uh, you know i'm on a lot of other podcasts pretty often oh and then we have a uh, a weekly show uh that is a video on youtube and twitter called swan signal um which is really fun you can jump in the chat there at uh, on telegram it's t.me swan signal if you want to join the, the telegram chat where we announce those shows and um Swansignalpodcast dot if you want to uh, listen to back episodes. But yeah, we had uh, Udi Vertimer and I am um, oh, blanking. And uh, Gigi on last week, a couple weeks ago, we had Preston Pish and Adam Back. This coming week, we have Jimmy Song and uh, and Alex Svetsky So try to get uh, two guests every week to come and and have a chat with uh, Brady Swenson, our head of education, who's also the Citizen Bitcoin podcast host uh sort of facilitates a really robust fun hour-long discussion between two well-known bitcoiners every Thank week you. yeah absolutely and thanks for uh doing such a great job with your uh, preparation and having uh good questions i can tell you put some work in so thanks a lot